When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today we're joined by Simon Bird to go over that defeat to West Ham. Look ahead to the game at Everton and the January transfer window. I'm Andrew Musgrove. This is Everything is Black and White podcast in association with eToro. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove. Today joined by Chris Woff and special guest Simon Bird from Mirror Football. After three weeks of... Brilliant results for Newcastle. Very depressing weekend. Just gone there, Chris. 3-0 to West Ham. West Ham, I mean, for all Newcastle, dominated really in the first half an hour or so and had their chances. West Ham really looked at ease. They did. I think this is going to be basically the course the season in general is going to take. That Newcastle, obviously 10-game winless run. Everything got really low. Three victories in a row. And suddenly the mood was, was lifted massively. And then what really was a, a bit of a... Smack back down to earth on on Saturday when West Ham came and and won three nil. In for large parts of the game, I think Newcastle were in it, and the scoreline in some ways flattered West Ham. But at the same time, every time West Ham attacked, Newcastle looked vulnerable. And the big difference was the fact that West Ham have a front three who cost them around sixty million, probably worth more than that now. And out of it, probably worth three or four times what they paid from Anderson, starting to to look like he was a, he was an expensive gamble that, that will pay off. And Hernandez after a difficult first year. And East London, a player Newcastle looked at and Rafa admitted had looked at uh, during the summer of 2017. Uh, typical poacher that he is and took both his goals. And, and Newcastle were, were just beaten by a ruthless team who really shouldn't even be in and around the relegation zone but have had a difficult start the season themselves. I suppose, Simon, the key word is clinical. You know, Newcastle weren't clinical with their chances. I always you Prez, you know, missed two or three in the first half. And we all know that yeah. kind of uh, reaction he got when he was subbed off. Ironically cheered, which I think me and Chris both said, you know, just not really constructive, but we'll get onto that in a moment. But in terms of not taking the chances, I mean, that's where Newcastle are really going to be hurt this season. Yeah, it was a strange game because you thought in the first half, Newcastle didn't actually play that badly. They were, they were, I thought they were quite bright. Um, they were creating stuff. It was a problem in the 10-game winless run that they really you couldn't see where the goals were coming from and they weren't creating, but there was a bit of hope there. Um, but yeah, when they had chances. I mean, that free had a from a corner uh, that Perez had who when he skied it over the bar that was the best one um, and there was two or three others um, and it, they didn't take the chance I think Newcastle had 16 shots where West Ham had had seven and you know they scored with three and Newcastle didn't score at all so yeah it was a, it was a weird game I, it was it's, we were just talking about this before that um, I've not seen Newcastle as wide open defensively as that um, it was almost as if they'd um, they were really having a hit to nothing they'd won three games if they beat West Ham everything would have been flying high and they went a little bit slack and I think that'll really annoy Benitez, um, the, the slackness and, the, and the, the, the gaping holes that were there to exploit on the break for, for West Ham, who were actually, you know, they, they had 12, point, 12 points before the game. They were, they were pretty good. They were, they, they, they're probably a, an eighth place team at the minute, so seventh, eighth, ninth, that region, with what they've got, if they can get it together. So they were a decent, decent team. They were very good. Uh, Philippe Anderson stood out. But, I mean, the performance against West Ham very much reminded me of performance last November against Watford when 
Marco Silva came up as worth for the manager and his team absolutely just opened Newcastle up and I think that was during the, 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 the run where they hadn't had any wins and obviously Benitez turned it around in December but it was quite alarming that they kind of slipped back into that. I mean, obviously a lot of the players who played on Saturday would have played in that game as well. Yeah, well, this was the joint heaviest defeat Newcastle suffered at St. James's Park under Benitez along with that Watford game. I think there are similarities, but I also think the differences here, Newcastle went in this game with a bit of confidence, whereas against Watford, obviously was during that run where they simply couldn't win a game last season. I also just think that it was more, as Simon said, it was almost like they just weren't, quite at the intense levels that have been recently. There were everyone was just two or three percent lower than, than they normally are. And this Newcastle team we know has to be at one hundred percent to match other teams. They lack quality in certain areas, but what they do usually have is desire, commitment, discipline. And all of that sort of went out of the window. I, I wrote a piece yesterday basically saying that the frustration for me with this Newcastle side is, and this is more from above and the hierarchy is it's not a million miles away from being a pretty decent mid to higher half Premier League table it just needs that sprinkling of quality up top but yesterday uh, sorry on Saturday for large parts they didn't even resemble what, what is so good about this side that they they were a bit off the pace they were naive in a lot of areas and, and I, I agree 100% with Simon says where he says that Benitez will not have been impressed with a lot of what he saw I mean the goal itself was was the first goal sorry was an absolute disgrace if you were a defender and you were sitting back yeah. watching that you'll be tearing your hair out I mean Benitez yeah. must have must have watched seen that goal over and over again on TV, and I suppose you only really have to see it once to see where they went wrong. Because because yeah. in theory they, w- they hadn't been ripped apart by a, a counter attack at that point. It was, there was there was four defenders there, but they kind of, I don't know whether this need, need to look at the replay. But they did they step out or but for, 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 to leave Hernandez just standing there flipping it home uh, on his own was was pretty pretty criminal. And back to what Chris said there, I think New, Newcastle in the three wins they got had a kind of desperate intensity about them. They knew that, you know, if they, they didn't get those wins, they were really in big trouble in the bottom three. Uh, and there was a desperation about that, a good desperation about their play, um, which, you know, th- there's obviously relief at three wins in a row. And you could tell the players seemed a bit relieved <laughs> that they got the points on the board and there wasn't that same oomph about them. Uh, so how, how do you change that then? I mean, who's who does that fall onto? Is that Benitez? Does he fail well, to install that as a as a, a going thing throughout the whole of the season or is it that down to the players as soon as they step on the pitch it's their responsibility yeah, it, it's sort of the players as well but then you know Rafa he, he always likes to be faithful to the players who've got a result um, but you've got to look at the bench now as well and he's got options to change it especially most notably with uh, Lasell and Shelby who were at the start of the season or before this run before the winning run uh, were seen as the key players to the to the whole the whole season keep those fit and the whole thing will tick um, now they're on the bench now I thought on Saturday, especially in the second half, some of the players, he looked at them, the way they were running, they looked a bit leggy and looked a bit tired. Um, and you, may, you you think, well, maybe Rafa could have freshened it up um, or, or changed it a little bit and just to just to have a, an extra dynamic. Not not to not to ruin confidence of the people who've got to win, but just to for a bit more energy. I suppose with a decision about Lascelles and who he may replace centre-back, do you think uh, Fabian Scher made Benitez's decision a little bit easier for Wednesday? Because, I mean, Anderson embarrassed him for that third goal. And, and throughout the game, he looked a little off pace. He didn't look like the player we'd seen in the previous two, yeah. uh, three wins, sorry. Well, he looks like sh- the advantage of Shah is that he is very good on the ball and he can step forward into midfield and even into attack a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, he scored. 
yeah, and and um, and he did a he kind of did a couple of crosses the other day. Or was certainly on the edge of the box. So he's quite good on the ball. He's very creative, um, probably more so than Lascelles. Um, but then when it was wide open on the counter attack, you could for the first time actually um, you noticed that he wasn't very quick. Um, and when it's kept, when you keep it tight with three centre backs, that's not going to get exposed. But when you play two at the back and it's an away game, you know against Everton, you might you might think he could get exposed again. So the obvious change would be to to give ourselves a game, see how he fares again, not chucking Shah aside, but but um, just to, just to freshen up, just to change it. That'll be the obvious one that you might change for Everton. And Chris, obviously Shelby came off the bench. We saw for a brief period Modi Army, Kane, Shelby playing in, in the midfield together it didn't impress you when he came off the bench because he was kind of trying to show what, what he can do rather than helping the team yeah I think this has been the big frustration for me for Shelby throughout his career I think it's probably why he didn't quite make it at Liverpool why he hasn't quite made it at that very top level because we know he has basically an unrivaled skill set in terms of being able to distribute the ball and in theory should be that deep line playmaker but just at the times when I think we saw it last year whenever Gareth Southgate turned up at St James's as well that Shelby almost seems to try too hard in those moments rather than just control the game, rather than, than be calm in the way that his manager would like and the way that his manager is. He almost comes on and tries to force things and too often there's there's too many long balls, there's, there's too many, he looks for that Hollywood pass and to be fair in the game, it was 2-0, he was coming into a very difficult environment but I just got the impression that because everyone's been talking about Key for the last few weeks, because Shelby hasn't been in the picture, he almost came in and wanted to show I should be the one who's playing again rather than just let his football do the talking. He was trying far too hard in my opinion because we did see some all right passes from me wonderful outside the ball um outside the foot and it went into the box thing it was a one done running on to it but time and time again maybe the easier ball was was the better option yeah just it's not meant to be an outright criticism of Shelby I think there was a lot of talk a week or so ago from a lot of Newcastle fans who were basically saying oh Key should be the one who starts now Shelby shouldn't be cast aside Newcastle do not have the strength and depth for that for a start and actually when Newcastle was struggling he was one of the better players for part of that period and he will be starting in the next few weeks because Benitez is going to have to rotate it's a time it's the busiest time in the air we know that if and when Newcastle play three games a week as they are going to this week, Benitez doesn't like to name the same start line, particularly in the key positions, centre-back, uh, holding midfield, number 10 and up front. He tends to change things, so I can see Shelby possibly starting at Everton, and if not, starting against Wolves. And he just needs, for me, just, just to focus on on doing what he does better, just try and be a bit more measured in what he tries to do, because I think he can be a match winner for Newcastle, and I don't have too many of those. I've asked this in previous podcasts, so I'll ask you, Simon. With Shelby, I mean... Do you think there's a case of when he's playing, everyone looks to him as the man who will change the game? And when he's not been playing the last the last two weeks, for instance, and um, before the West Ham game, more players are stepping to the plate and taking responsibility to create things? Could be, yeah. And you could say the same at the back um, with the Lascelles as well. I mean, the, the Fernandes and Shaw made a very nice partnership. Um, but a team has got to have its star players. Um, and you know, especially Shelby, you know, would... A month, two months ago, we were wondering why, if he could have a break into England, and he and then he said that he didn't want to be considered anymore because, um, because you know Southgate wasn't picking him and he, he was out of the picture. So he is he is one of Newcastle's big players and most influential players. It's just um, fitting him into a system where you've got a team that's scrapping for their lives and you need all the energy and and you know and sort of oomph and and aggression. Um, that a team can muster away from home, especially at Everton, um, where I shell, where I a bit more. I'm creative. I'm, I'm going to spray it around. I need to dictate play, 
you know, you, you don't want too much of a focus on one man because if 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 he becomes or if it, it one man is the focus of Newcastle's midfield, man mark him, kick him out of the game, block him away, and then you, you're in trouble. And I think the unselfishness of the of the team in the three wins that they've got, especially Key, who is. He's, he plays such a cruising, simple game, bringing other people into it, and he really doesn't look like he's after after any headlines himself. Um, that's that's kind of been the key. So Shelby needs to find a nice balance between just ticking it over and being part of a team and keeping the pressure off, and then finding the killer ball and playing it well. Is it one of the issues also though? These killer balls, these Hollywood passes, they only come off once in a blue moon. We don't, you know, you're not sitting there every Saturday saying. No, he's done it again. He's done it again. It's very rarely that they actually do come off, or maybe the the, the assists come off rather than because we know what he he often starts play, doesn't he? Rather than creates the goal. But if you're trying, the, you know, the thirty forty yard wonder balls, surely they've got to come off more often to 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 kind of validate it. Well, between January and April is the best I've seen Shelby play for Newcastle consistently. There was a few games in the Championship where he, he was unplayable at that level, but in terms of consistently in the Premier League between January and April, and, and he did exactly what Simon said he needed to do there. He was he was simple to a large degree. He linked up well with Diarmi, but then he picked his moment and, and, and played the pass. And sometimes I, I think rather than look for the pass, you've just got to wait for the pass to arrive. And I think that he's he's overthinking things. He's such he, he's got the 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 reactions to for his instinct to take hold. And if the ball is there, he can play it rather than look up and think, I need to play this 60-yard pass. Just wait for the right moment and it will come. And I, Yeah, he more often than not is the person who facilitates an assist rather than is the assist maker. His set pieces or something I think he, he really needs to improve on. I don't know why he took the free kick when he came out on the weekend. That was a strange decision for someone who hasn't played much football recently. But that's by the by. Going forward in the next few weeks, if I was Benitez, I'd just be saying to him, just, just keep things simple and those, those opportunities will present themselves more teams will in the next few weeks allow those gaps to open up except maybe Huddersfield the majority of teams Newcastle will face will be open Everton will be open on Wednesday Fulham when they come to St James's Park will be open Liverpool will be open the gaps will appear just wait for the moment don't try it every single time but his most memorable passes from last year uh, were involving Dwight Gale spinning off his mm. his forward and then he, Shelby would flick it over the top and 30 yards, 40 yards and it would it would create a chance and it's a different personnel now so Rondon's more of a target man I think Shelby needs needs good movement ahead of him and good movement confusing a defence. So so and he has got the talent to to unlock defences with with that pass. I think it's probably it looks like there's a different system now. Newcastle aren't getting runners beyond Rondon. Um, you know maybe um, Murphy or Atsu can get more of a chance and get beyond get beyond the defence. Then that would help Shelby. Next point was getting on to Atsu because Matt Ritchie was subject again very early on, um, and yet he's the man who has put the most crosses in for Newcastle across the season. I think it's by 20 crosses or more. I think it's 78 or something like 50-odd. Um, and again, he looked like the man who was going to create something on Saturday, um, in my opinion at least. Atu comes on, he's a different type of winger. He likes to get the ball down and really run at players. And it was a bit bizarre to see Richie come off for Atu and then Jocelyn come on and you've got two big target men up front with two wingers who aren't really looking to get the ball in the box. Yeah, I, I thought it was a strange substitution at the time. I don't know whether Benitez was almost thinking ahead to Everton and thinking, I need, I'm going to have to play someone else instead of Richie because he's suspended. But I'd almost be thinking about it the other way and thinking, well, Richie can empty his tank here because he's not going to be able to play on Wednesday. I don't know if it was almost he was thinking ahead to the fact he was going to play three in midfield and push the wingers further so they're almost additional strikers. Richie probably can't play that role. Atsu, in theory, can, but... 
Atu was ineffective when he came on. He was very good last year against West Ham, so possibly that was playing into Benitez's mind as well. But we, Benitez explained to us, uh, not the last press conference, but the one before, he was asked about Richie, and I even asked him, I said, Look, you seem to take him off all the time, why is he coming off so early? And he basically said he's, he's the player who puts so much in that he does empty his tank early, but Saturday was, was I think, the earliest he's been substituted, 51st minute. And for me, he had probably put in the best crosses of the game and that's what Newcastle needed if you've got Rondon up front you have to put the ball in the box and I don't think Newcastle were accurate enough with that delivery Richie wasn't happy when he came off either was he he, he was quite close to us and he, he was definitely muttering something under his breath which is unrepeatable on a, on the podcast <laughs> well, I suppose that is the point because he keeps getting replaced by Atu who you know did all right in the championship showed glimpses of you know why he went to Chelsea yeah. but time and time again Atu's not come off the bench and he's in, and performed and given Benitez a case to say, well, actually, you should be playing ahead of Richie. Yeah, I think, I can't remember which match it was, but earlier in the season, I know they were really unhappy when they put him on and he just offered absolutely nothing. However, the Bournemouth game, I think it was, he had 10 minutes at the end and looked actually decent. He, the first time he got the ball, he jinked inside and got a shot which was sa- shot off, which was saved. So I, I had that in my head that he, he had a good impact there. That's why he's putting him on. Um, but he was he was fairly poor the other day. Um and I'd like, I mean, I'd love. I think Murphy needs a lot more of a chance at Newcastle. Um, he's, he's got huge potential. I've seen him for the under twenty ones um, when he was at Norwich as well. And he just, I think he's ne- he doesn't feel part of Newcastle yet. It seems, and I think it's a big step for a young lad to make. And I think the more faith you show him, and the more minutes you give him, he will be much more of an asset. Mm-hmm. And I think. He, he, sp- he speaks about Murphy speaks about Rafa saying look it's a, it's a building process with you but I think they're going to have to start building it a bit quicker because he's cost 12 million he's, is he Rafa's most expensive signing joint with, with Richie yeah um, so they really st- start need to look after him a bit more now and, and develop him so so that he feels comfortable in the shirt and comfortable at St James's Park because it's a big step up for a 22 year old making making this definitely and, he, and his brother down at Cardiff you know has been yeah. given the chance he's getting the run of the team he's been excellent many Fans kind of joke when did we buy the wrong, the wrong brother kind of thing. But it is about giving these youngsters the um, the chance to show what they can do. And that's the only way they're going to yeah. get better and improve. I yeah. suppose Benitez might argue, well, we're in a relegation. Scrap, he's got yeah. to earn it. Yeah, he's yeah. got to earn it. Got to he's got to prove himself. Also, when he gets the, situ- on. Yeah. the situation probably isn't right to throw in no. a player like Murphy or or even someone who obviously long staff secured a contract there. Being in a Premier League scrap, Chris, it's not the right time to throw in a youngster, is it? No, and the the problem here is that if Benitez has been able to do the business he wanted during the summer, Richie may have gone or he'd like him to stay, but then Andros Townsend or another winger would have come in and then and Murphy would have been no closer to the team. I think the issue here is more that Benitez wants, because he realised it was going to be a, another scrap against staying to make sure they stay in the Premier League. He wants players he believes he can rely on. And at the moment with Murphy, Murphy in theory could go and win your game but he hasn't shown that often enough. He doesn't do the tactical work that Benitez wants him to do. He doesn't necessarily, he isn't necessarily all fair with the system that Benitez wants. And until that's the case, I don't think he's ever going to be a regular under Rafa Benitez. And that is, is for me, a problem with the recruitment model at Newcastle. That is, it, Newcastle would like Benitez to sign more players like Murphy when he's saying 22, 23 years old, 10, 12 million. But if he performs well you can double or treble that value Benitez would like more players who are already proven in the Premier League 26 27 uh, signed probably for five or six million more than you would have signed Murphy for but he knows he can put them in and they will do exactly the job he wants he knew Andros Townsend from his time at Newcastle was going to do the role that he wants him to do Murphy 
even 18 months into his Newcastle career, seemingly Benitez still doesn't trust him. Because I guess with that, if you buy experienced players, you've got players to pass on the experience to, to the youngsters like Murphy, and that's another way they can learn and progress. Yeah, it needs to be a balance, and I don't think either party have the, the right balance yet. I think from Newcastle's point of view, the hierarchy, they still want too many of the under 26s players too many of the youngsters and from Benitez's point of view I think he keeps on saying publicly I'm quite happy to work with youngsters I just need a bit more experience I think he's slightly disingenuous when he says that because if you look at the majority of the youngsters there's very few youngsters other than Jamal Lascelles who he's regularly played at Newcastle I think that he would prefer more experience particularly because they're likely to be in a relegation battle. Do you think Benitez also is is looking at it and thinking well if if Murphy fails here can I really afford afford him to feel because he's signed him he, like Chris says the joint biggest signing will the board be looking down or Lee Charlie might actually be looking down and saying well we give you a chance you've signed someone and he's you know he's failed to live up to expectation yeah I think that's, they are looking at that and we had a conversation God, maybe it was this time last year um, with Newcastle people and Rafa kind of hinted that they, they, they had had a meeting about his signings and said well this one didn't work this one didn't work and he, he was he was annoyed by that. <laughs> um, in the and he explained to us if he could get seven out of ten, if you're a manager and you get seven out of ten signings right, then you've done a damn good job. Um, and I think it, it it did feel one. This is a long. This is a long many months ago, but it did feel like someone in Newcastle had said, "Well, that one didn't work. That one didn't. Work, that one didn't work. Why? Why are we going to give you loads of money?" Um, but that was when they were transitioning between Championship and, and Premier League. And, you know, they bought a squad for the Championship, as we know, and it was targeted winning the Championship. And then they had to change the squad around again for the for the Premier League. And the players they bought for one season aren't going to work in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, he is being, he, he obviously he is being judged. Mike, the big thing about Ashley is that, uh, and pe- people around him say this, that when he puts 100 million into or whatever 20 million investment into sports direct he knows because they've done the sums what what investment what he's going to get back on his investment and I f- and i don't think they've got the grips with the fact that football it's not it's not like business you can't say i'm going to get a 10% return from that investment you might get a double your money return if josh if murphy jacob murphy comes good and he's brilliant and he he sell him on in two years or he, you might be worth 6 million you might you might lose money so um yeah, the investment thing is 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 weird, but yeah, they are looking at Benitez signings all the time and trying to make him get the best out of it. I think this all stems back to the summer of 2016 as well, which at the time looked like a very good window and was a very good window for the championship. But speaking to people high up at Newcastle now, they basically say that Benitez was well aware, this is their point of view, that Benitez was well aware, we're going to back you here, but this money may eat into potential funds you will have in the future and be as like, we need to win the championship. This is for, this is for the here and now. I'll do that. And they then turn around when he, when Benitez says, oh, I need more money now. They say, well, you had that summer where you could spend the money you wanted. And that's why they didn't back him in January 2017 from their point of view, they say. And that's why maybe money hasn't been as forthcoming now. So Benitez built a squad for the championship won the championship and he argues that he then should have been allowed to rebuild the squad for the Premier League. People at the club at least argue, I don't know the exact conversation at the time, but they argue that Benitez is well aware that if you spend all this money now, there probably isn't going to be as much in the near future. I can hear some Newcastle United fans banging their head against a brick wall when you say that because that, to me, sounds a bit ludicrous given the amount of money that there is staying in the Premier League. Yes and no. I think it is ludicrous to a certain degree now they've been back in the Premier League for 18 months. I do sort of understand the January 2017 argument 
because Newcastle were in such a difficult financial position at that point, I still think that it would have made sense for them to make one or two signings just to make sure they came up. And then particularly if there was someone like Andros Townsend who would have been uh, able to play in the Premier League. But I also understand that, that basically Newcastle were in such a difficult financial position having gone down there, put all their eggs in one basket to come up the first time. A, paying Benitez and his staff's wages. B, keeping Premier League wage bill. C, signing players that they did, spending £12 million on Matt Ritchie, £10 million on Dwight Gale. I can understand it from that point of view, but 18 months having been back in the Premier League, I think now the purse strings need to be loosened a bit. Do you think they will be for January? Well, Mike Ashley hasn't been there for the last two games, which is a slight concern. As if, and I realise he's, he's this afternoon. I think right now, actually, when we're doing this podcast, he's, he's in front of the Commons Select Committee. Uh, he's asked to be there to, to speak about the high street. So I think his focus is non Newcastle United. The soundings are that there's money there. People high up at Newcastle insist there was money there in the summer. They didn't set out to make a profit in the transfer window, that they were willing to break the transfer record. Obviously, we know Miguel Almiron is someone Benitez would definitely like. Newcastle will almost certainly have to, to go above and beyond the $16 million they played for Michael Owen back in 2005 that to sign him. I'll believe it when I see it, uh, as I think all Newcastle fans will, because we've heard this before. They need to go out and spend that money because, as we said on Saturday, the difference was West Ham had difference makers in the final third. Newcastle had a, a number 10 who cost 1.5 million a few years ago. A bit of a gamble. Didn't really matter either way whether they came off or not. A striker who they weren't prepared to sign permanently, who's there on loan. And then, as we say, brought Christian Atsu on who made no impact, whereas West Ham had a front three worth 60 million. Newcastle need that player who's going to cost a lot of money in the final third. Uh, Bertie, do you think we'll see that in January? Uh, well, after Friday, I, I'm a bit, I was a bit more optimistic. I think Benitez was a little, was had a bit of a sort of cheeky smile on his mm. face when he was talking about Almiron. He he toyed with this, the um, Keith Downey's question from Sky, saying, "Well, who who is he? Where does he play?" And he was obviously joking with a wink. Um, and he he, he he kind of said that yeah, we're close, didn't he? I mean, it, it gets lost in the two and a half thousand words of quotes that we get. But if you looked at the actual transcript, he he was kind of I think he was nudging us that they know who they want, and they're actually going over there to see what the deal is and see if they can do it. Um, I suppose the skeptics uh, would say they uh, ask for twenty five million pounds <laughs> for an MLS player. Yeah, can we see them paying that? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. Maybe, maybe they'll try and loan him for the season and then do <laughs> do a deal in the in the summer. The thing is, you say it's a huge amount of money, and it is from a Newcastle United point of view. But actually, and we don't know how well Almiron can translate his form into the Premier League. But for a player in theory of his quality, that's cheap because they're getting him from the MLS. If he was playing in Spain, if he was playing in Italy, you'd probably be paying thirty five, forty million plus. This is the market Newcastle are shopping in. Again, trying to go cheap in the standards of, of what they're going on, but that's the going rate for. If they want an attacking midfielder who is going to be going to make a difference, then they're going to have to pay that sort of money. The one that got away was James Madison. I mean, he, Norwich last year, uh, and he was ripping it up when we saw him play Borough and Sunderland, and he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant and the, for the under twenty ones as well in the, in the England system. And he was twenty five million and went to Leicester. Now that, that Newcastle should have been in that market for, for him and look what he's done this year he's probably worth 45 now <laughs> and he's in the England squad and he's, he's super Just talking about number 10s and obviously I, I always praise in that number 10 role he did miss a few chances the ironic cheers that we've previously mentioned when he got subbed I mean all in all it wasn't a very good good game for him oh, You see I've, I think I've been in before and the last time I was in and defended Perez a bit <laughs> if you look at the highlights and I watch match of the day he, you know he, 
he did loads. He did some good layoffs. He, he gets he's cl- his movements really clever. He gets into good positions, but he just hasn't got that killer instinct. He hasn't got uh, is it his left foot, or his right foot, which he didn't want to shoot with. Um, you know, he, he he's a bit one footed, but he I think he's a good player. He's obviously not what Newcastle. Not, he's not going to kick Newcastle into the top ten. But he was the top scorer last season, is that I right? Think or Peter, joint top scorer? Uh, short memories, because without yeah. his form towards the end of last season, he, Newcastle he would not have finished in the top ten. Yeah, and he's slippery, and he gets into strange positions, just dropped off the front, um, and does do good passes. And if you look with the with the commentary off, and you watch him, I, I think I think he's worth it. And it, we we all turned in the press box to each other and said, uh, when when he got booed, when the, well, the, actually the fans cheered when his number went up to to substitute him. And that was awful. That was really, really poor of a small section of Newcastle fans who, to have a go at one of your own. And he's not a lad who who wanders around in a disinterested way. He's really serious about his football. He wants to progress in his career. He's trying his best. And sometimes it doesn't come off. And it didn't come off the other day because he missed four chances, four or five chances first half. Um, but you don't boo one of your own. It's just That's just out of order completely. And they should get behind him realising he's what Newcastle's got now and I think if Rafa Benitez could go face to face with fans who booed him or cheered him for coming off he would say he's one of your own and he's one of your family and you look after him no matter what you think of what he does on the pitch discuss what he does in podcasts at home in the pub Hmm. but don't boo in front of his face when he's he's getting soaked in any way of life you know the best the best way to improve is to offer constructive criticism Ironically, cheering when he gets substituted, you know, he would have heard that. You know, he, he would have heard that as he came off. That would not have helped him because he would have known he should have. Did well, the celebration, yep. but he would have known that, you know, he missed a handful of golden chances, and you know, he would have already been feeling down about that. So to hear that as you're trudging off, you know, no matter how much you get paid or you know how big your house is when you get home that's going to play on your mind. It is, and I'm actually glad to hear Simon agree with, with the opinion I gave after the game on Saturday because looking at everyone since, I, I thought I was watching a different game to everyone else. Look, Perez missed some brilliant opportunities and if he'd scored them, the game may have gone a different way. But he was also the player who was getting in those positions. And second half, I thought he was the one player who looked like he might make something happen. He, he, he played that ball out to share, which is the one which was the low cross and nearly went in. He does go sit in those positions and he isn't an orthodox number 10 but at the same time, if Newcastle had other options, he may be playing somewhere else in the team. He wasn't bought as a number ten; he was bought almost as a as a as a, a wide forward who would drift in. And Benitez likes him because he does so much off the ball as well. And I think he is important in Newcastle. Uh, I was chatting to a few people over, over the last few days, saying who else would in that squad would you play in the number ten? Well, you got Diarmi. Well, he's better as a destructive force. I think than he is in that number ten role. He isn't great with his his back to goal and, and bringing people into play. Shelby, can you move him that far forward? I don't think you can. He's certainly not going to do the defensive work that Richie, that, that Perez would. And then Richie would be the Richie O'Kendi would be the other option. And I, I think that they're better in a wide position. So he is what Newcastle have. He gives his all. He always does, and he's happy to be at Newcastle. You can see that he generally cares about about the football club and being here. And I, I I thought it was a strange thing for supporters to do. I know it was part of the frustration of the game itself, but I just think he scapegoated too often. No, well, certainly, and obviously, the other big talking point was the 11th minute walk-in protest. I mean, as if Hollywood script West Ham score on the 11th minute didn't really come you off. Could have, you could have predicted that was yeah. going to happen. It's just Newcastle all over, isn't it? You, yeah. We're all looking at the stands, and then West Ham has scored. You know, <laughs> it look the protest. Um, you know, I never criticised the lads who tried to organise it, and they've tried to change their club. 
absolutely more power to their elbow. You know, that's what fans are, or should be doing. If you if you want stuff to change in any walk of life, activism is what makes makes it happen. And I think what they've done so far and what they've done this season has helped in that it's, you know, they'll de- the club will deny it and say we've we, you know, they're probably not bothered about it. But I think it's um, made Ashley re-engage and his and Rafa Benitez as well and um, made made him come up and take an interest and watch games and uh, and realise he's got to build a, a relationship with Benitez because his customer base, the fans, um, are losing patience. And I think if Newcastle fans had, hadn't done any of that stuff um, outside the ground. And in Northumberland Street, that wouldn't have happened. Um, but as for the eleventh-minute protest, which is the the second most high-profile one that they've planned, um, it, fifty minutes before kickoff, it looked really promising. We were thinking, "Hang on, there's literally nobody here." Fifty <laughs> minutes before kickoff, maybe this is going to work. But then, then it it filled in, and there were there were some noticeable gaps from where we were in the main stand, um, opposite the in the, in the east stand, um, and the Gallagher as well. Um, and when but when the match kicked off, you, I mean, you had to go looking for the empty seats and you, it wasn't huge. When they walked in after the 11th minute, you thought, oh, there are, actually, there are actually quite a few. We th- we, you couldn't count. It was very, very, diff- very difficult to count. But the Gallic end, there was people pouring through mm-hmm. there. I mean, people were taking a guess at it. Was it 1,000? Was it 500? Was it 1,500? We don't, we don't know. But um, well, well done to the people who did it because they're the ones who, who are putting the necks on the line to get, get it changed. I actually think the irony on Saturday was as well that the way the game unfolded and and the way the reasons why West Ham won the game are exactly the reasons why the protest was taking place in the first place. The lack of investment, the lack of vision from the hierarchy at the club to try and progress it and make it better. And I agree with Sam. You I would never criticise any fan for for the way they want to support their football club, whether they want to take part in these protests or whether they don't want to take part in them. And the fact that they are trying to actively affect the situation in Newcastle, I just think the issue is that the a Mike Ashley wasn't there on on Saturday, and b I just don't think he re- he really cares that much. I think the club, I think people in and around the club do, but I think he doesn't, and I think that's where the disconnect of any. Uh, activism against them just it, it, until someone comes along and gives them an offer he can't refuse uh, for Newcastle where he's going to make a profit on what he initially paid and he's going to get all his loans back I think we're just going to be in unfortunately this this terrible marriage of inconvenience whereby Mike Ashley remains in charge I don't think it could force him out I don't, I don't think um, I think the only thing that could really 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 make an impact is when the season ticket renewals come and you know 10-15,000 people say well Rafa's going to go I'm not going to renew my season ticket because this club, this club isn't doing the business for me. Not tr- it's not trying on the pitch, not trying as hard as it should. Um, and it's the season ticket renewals. If they see they're not coming in, they'll be behind the scenes thinking, oh dear, <laughs> we're going to have to do something here. Um, if Rafa goes, I bet there's a f- good few thousand drop-off um, definitely this summer if Rafa doesn't stay. Um, then the test comes whether, you know, if they can get someone credible in to replace Rafa... That's another question mark put in the put in the heads of fans. If you get, I don't know, Brent, Brendan Rodgers was mentioned by my paper a few months ago. That's a credible appointment. He's had success at Celtic. He's managed Liverpool. Does that assuage the, the demonstrators again and make it all go quiet and people go, oh, give them another chance? I, I don't know. It's a, diff- a really difficult one. I think the issue there is always going to be, no matter who it is comes in after, even if they do pretty well, people are going to go, oh, if you'd given Benitez the chance, he would have done the same. I think that's going to be the problem. Anyone who follows Rafa, it's like follow, in a... In a, in a obviously different context but it's like the people who followed Alex, Alex Ferguson at Manchester United they, they were always set up for a fall and if you follow Rafa Benitez because Rafa Benitez walks because the club haven't done it one 
no matter what success you get in that in that interim period afterwards, people say, well, it, particularly if, if that manager is backed financially, people will go, if you give him Rafa Benitez that sort of money, he would have taken them to this level. And, I, and I, so I feel for anyone who does come in after Benitez as well. Do you think, Simon, at this point in time, you what's your views on him staying, Benitez? Do you think he will stay in the summer? Well, I think, um, I mean, we've written stories in the, we wrote stories saying there was no chance, which is probably the underlying thing at the moment that there's no chance of him staying however he's playing the game a bit and he's he's he kind of a couple of press conferences ago two weeks ago he hinted that it was a, there was a possibility that he was happy here he loved the city like the fans the setup thought he could do well um I, I think it's I think even he probably doesn't know at the minute I think you would still be saying he'll probably go because a big European club will come in for him and but then no one did this summer last summer um you probably think that he, he probably won't stay, but he's got a good he's got a good gig here at Newcastle. Um, anything he achieves is it makes him a huge hero. Um, and Mike Ashley's got to work out how far he can push it with him and say, you know, go and buy these players, break the transfer record twice. You, Newcastle need to break the record, break the transfer record in January. And twice in the summer, uh, to to probably keep him. You know, it, it's not you're not gonna, you're not going to be messing around doing. Although Benitez has been really good on a budget, Shaw, Fernandez, you know, key got, got great, good players he's brought in. You've got to break it two or three times in the next seven months <laughs> to keep him. And is that going to happen? I don't know. Benitez, does Benitez think it's going to happen? Probably not. I don't know what Simon thinks, but he obviously sees Benitez like I do every week and. When you actually sit there just at home or if you're writing a piece and you, and you put down the actual facts, you think there's very little chance that he's going to stay because the club have basically said to him, Mike Ashley said almost face-to-face last summer, we're not going to put the money in the academy you want yet. We're not going to do the training ground yet. That's going to come in time. And all this sort of stuff, and you think well, there's no chance from staying. But then when you actually sit in front of him and you talk to him, it's it, your opinion almost changes somewhat, and so we flip flop ourselves yeah, thinking because exactly. he, he, he just the way that he talks about it, he still talks about things long term, he still has this idea of where the club could be. He still he, you just get the impression from him that that where is he going to go for a start? That's a, that's a big question. I always think is it he, I can't see him stepping away from Newcastle without something else in mind because if you read about it and if you speak to him about that time when he, he left Liverpool sorry, when he left into Milan and he had two and a half years out of the game and he hated it. He had to go and manage as, as famous as he said. He had to go and manage a local kids team and then got told he wasn't allowed to anymore by one of the opposition parents. He, he lives and breathes for football and ideally he would like to stay in England. Are one of the top six clubs going to come in from? I can't. I, I just can't see it. And then Everton have got Marco Silva now. You, you look around and there's very. He'd be starting from such a low base as any other club if he went into them. Newcastle he has the foundations of a team that he wants to add that sprinkling of stardust to, and it just needs. There needs to be a bit of give and take from both sides. So. I flip-flop every week as to whether I think he'll stay. But uh, Friday, again, I wrote a piece on, on Saturday morning just saying there was just a, a, something about him where he, he hasn't fully made his mind. People close to him may be saying that he has made his mind, but I, I think there's still part of him which can see himself being here next season. With Jamal LaSalle signing new contract, um, do you think the players, especially when it comes to contracts, do you think LaSalle would have asked you know, what, what's happening with the manager? Because he's, LaSalle is a very outspoken individual, do you think that would have played any part? And does that give any insight into maybe the future of Benitez at Newcastle? I think he will have done, but at the same time, I think Jamal Lascelles knows that a, he's got himself a pay rise by signing this contract, and yeah, it may be a long-term thing, but really that's Newcastle protecting themselves. 
they can, they can now demand more for his services if, if a big club does come in from and really we, we know that contracts all they do is they do bolster uh, the amount that a club can demand for someone if Man United if Chelsea if someone like that came in for Jamal LaSalle's and offered 35-40 million I still think that there's a chance to go yes he probably did seek assurances from Rafa Benitez but I don't see what the negative was from his point of view to get a pay rise signing this long term contract and I don't think it really affects his chances of moving on does it affect the tra- the chance winner that January? You know, Benitez has kind of hinted that January is a massive month mm-hmm. in terms of obviously bringing players in, but showing the ambition from the board. But if you're an incoming player or potential incoming player, say like Almiron, yeah. and you ask, well, your contract runs out in the summer, are you, are you going to be here? Uh, well, if you're moving from the MLS in Atlanta to, I mean, have we looked at his wages, Almiron? We need to do that because yeah. they're all published. So we need, it's probably going to get a huge pay rise. Actually, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that this <laughs> afternoon. Um, find out what he's on at Atlanta because they're all published in the MLS. So um, I would suspect um, he's going to get a massive pay rise. So I think that'll be the, where he can get his massive pay rise will be the first point of call on a player, on a player's radar. Probably the same as Lascelles. You know, um, he signed a deal last summer or a year ago, and it wasn't wasn't what he exactly what he wanted, and he's got what he wanted now. So, but it is Newcastle protecting themselves and increasing the transfer value of Jamal Lascelles. Um, I think money talks. I think the yeah they would want to know where he fits in and what the future of the club is. He definitely would, but I think the chance to just get into the Premier League, um, which is very hard hard earned. Um, for a player from the MLS would be the most important thing. Yeah, I think if it was a player on the continent, that might be slightly different. Mm-hmm. If it was someone at a club who may be qualifying for Europe in, in Italy or Spain or wherever, whereas coming from the MLS, I think the opportunity to sign for the Premier League, if the other clubs don't match what Newcastle's offer is, I think that that'll probably play a bigger role. Just looking at it here on prosoccerusa.com, do we want to have a guess at how much Muon gets paid per year in dollars? Because I'm not that clever to. Uh, put it into pounds. I have absolutely no idea. I don't even want to hazard a guess. Embarrass myself. They're really they're, they're, they're some of the, the, that list of salaries in the MLS are amazing. You see some lads on forty grand a year who are playing really well, and then there's uh, the, the stars I've got from Europe on six and a half at the top, half a million. Two. Now, if I'm reading this right, a year. I've got two point two point three million. It's his compensation of two point three million pound a year. So I'm million dollars. Yeah. Dollars. Dollars. Yeah. So that's probably I don't know what the exact exchange rate is now, but that's probably. 1.8-ish, is it? Which is... So, so it's really... Uh, no, 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 can I get a huge pay rise in Newcastle? <laughs> <laughs> Base salary of a 1.9, um, total compensation of 2.297. So I think that includes... So 1.9 million bonuses. Yeah, yeah, includes bonuses and stuff, so... 1.9 million dollars. One and a half million pounds. It's all right for some, isn't it? <laughs> so he's already handsomely rewarded in the MLS. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's about it's about thirty five, forty grand a week, I think, Ali. So right, so he'd double it, wouldn't he? Yeah. He would be on eighty. Yeah, if, he you, if, 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 if you're signing as if you're signing as the most expensive signing in the club's history, he would have to be. You would imagine he's going yeah. certainly nearish to what John Joe Shelby's on eighty odd, ninety. Sign of ambition, I guess. Um, on to a club with a sign of ambition is Everton, who've spent like it's gone out of fashion in the, the past few uh, trans windows. I think they're six in the lead. They, they lost to lost to Liverpool in the derby by one of the most bizarre um, goals we've probably ever seen in Merseyside derby. We'll mention it because, of course, it was the excellent goalkeeper Jordan Pickford, um, who bizarrely tried to catch the ball instead of putting it out in the final minute and, and dropped it onto Luigi's head. Um, cue celebrations from Jurgen Klopp. I mean, first of all, just because everyone's talking about it, Klopp's celebration. Are we in? F- in 
Do we support him running out the pitch like that in the, in the dying moments? Yeah, well, why not? He's not. He's quite um, a humble guy as well. He does both sides. You know, he, he likes a. He was the rock and roll manager who came from Germany, and he's done a few charges up the touchline, and he's always pumping and showing his teeth and all that. So you let him off. I mean, you don't want to see it every goal, but it's yeah, it's a ninety-six minute of a derby. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like it was like the Paolo de Canio at St James's Park. Sunderland fans loved it, and Newcastle fans hated it, and thought that that's what you're going to have in, in these sorts of situations. It was it was a 96 minute winner in, in a Merseyside derby, and all, I think even more important than that was the fact that Liverpool are staying in touch with Man City, and that goal meant so much to them. Look, he, can't, he shouldn't do it every week, but the fact that afterwards he came out of the game after the game, and he said he'd apologise to Marco Silva, who then said he hadn't heard the apology, which was a bit bizarre, but then praised Everton. I think that he he showed that humble side of him as well. How do you think the defeat then? to the local rivals will impact Everton's mood coming into this game will it kind of spur them on because they were they played quite well against Liverpool it was obviously the last minute last minute goal that they've lost to um, or will they be down in the dumps I mean Chris how, does, how do you think it'll affect them I hope it does affect them negatively because I've been really impressed with Everton in the last few weeks I've seen a fair bit of them and he's done a quietly good job there Marco Silva when he first came in I thought I'm not, not quite sure he's, he's having the impact but he's, he's getting the best out of the likes of Gilfie Sigurdsson Ricarlison is at the, the form that he's shown at the moment he's playing well for Brazil as well he's, he's looking like a really really good player Derry, Derry mentioned that collectively they cost over £70 million pounds. well again this is this is <laughs> what we keep saying if you want those players who do look that effective in the opposition third it's going to cost you serious money I, I think this is a, is a very good Everton side. Newcastle's record at Goodison Park's not good. They always seem to play the midweek as well. I, I, every single year I seem to be going to Goodison Park midweek and, and Everton seem to come here midweek as well. Um, I think a draw would be a very, very good result for Newcastle because I, I just I just think Everton looks so strong at the moment. I mean, the, key, the key clash in this game, I mean, if you remember Richarlison's performance um, when he was at Watford against Newcastle in that 3-0 win, the, the second the heaviest defeat was... Rafa in charge um, absolutely killed Yedlin I mean he he ran at him he, he ran over the top of him he, he hid behind him he was just in every five minutes in, in on goal from that left wing and if and I think he'll, Richarlison will probably remember that day and think hang on I could be in for a good good night here so Yedlin's going to have to be right on his toes and I think the, and Everton were good against, good against Liverpool they took the game to Liverpool at Anfield and they could have Scored a couple in the first half, but didn't didn't quite. So it's going to be a really tough game. Um, hopefully they'll be a bit flat, haven't had played a derby. Maybe they'll be a bit tired in the leg still. And um, I, I suspect that having been so wide open the other day, Rafa will really tighten it up. I mean, maybe you know, three centre backs. Do you think? And um, you know, will Dummett come back? He might show it. Maybe it's a bit too early for him. But um, they're going to. Re- I I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle have very few chances at Goodison Park, but possibly get a nil-nil draw and frustrate and hang in there it's going to be one of those games where I think back the basics for Newcastle maybe back the Burnley tactics um, see what happens there replacing Richie's a tough one as well it is I look at this week and I think that Sunday is a very important game for Newcastle but in, and, and the fact Wolves are in bad form in one sense you say great for Newcastle but on the, on the other hand Wolves are the sort of team who should suit Newcastle just, just as Everton go, Newcastle under Benitez have been at their best when they go away from home particularly and they can counter-attack, they can be tight defensively. So they'll go to Everton and I think they'll do that. And 
hopefully they'll be able to replicate that against Wolves at St James's Park. Wolves seemingly like to play football. We've seen them so far this season. I, I just think it's a week where Newcastle have to get that defensive side right again. That was what was so alarming for me on Saturday. It was a very unrafa Benitez like Newcastle performance. They'd gone away from what's best for them. So I, I think just, I think the fact that they've got Everton on a Wednesday night, they're going to realise how difficult a game this is. And I think everyone will be mentally ready for that. And hopefully defensively they are strong because they're, they're not going to score many at Goodison Park. So they just need to try and make sure that it's either nil nil or ones each because that's the only way I can see them really get anything. Benitez had them back in training straight away on Sunday. How does he lift the mood? Because you've not got you've got a very quick turnaround, and after not just a defeat, but I mean quite an I don't know if embarrassing is the right word, but I mean that defeat would have hurt because you know a few of the players just didn't have a very good game at all. Yeah, well, I think professional pride kicks in there for itself. I don't think Benitez necessarily needs to say that much. I think the majority of the players will know. Benitez will have spoken to them and said that certain things weren't acceptable and this is what they need to change for Wednesday. But when there's a lot of games in a short period of time, Newcastle have tended to do quite well and I think that's because Benitez A rotates the squad well. So I think there will be a few changes on Wednesday and B because of the way that he manages the squad throughout the season. He makes sure his work, workloads are sorted out. Um, they've, got, they've had nearly extra 24 hours on top of what Everton have after what has been a huge game for Everton as well emotionally as well as physically at Anfield it's going to be very very difficult but I, I do think there's more in Newcastle's favour from the quick turnaround than there probably is for Everton You mentioned um, the Everton players I mean who's the key for you is it Richarlson um, I mean you look at their bench and the players who aren't even getting in the, in the starting lineup. I mean Tossin we all know about Tank Tossin and how he became the new Bastos really for Newcastle um, over the last 18 months. Davies on the bench, Luckman, Calvert-Lewin, some good players there on the bench and you compare that to what Newcastle's options are. Um, they're all young as well. Yeah. I mean, Luckman on 21, Calvert-Lewin on 21, they're really good players. They're really good players and yeah, if it's not working for Everton, anyone's tired, they're going to just chuck in. I mean, Calvert-Lewin is an excellent rangey centre-half centre with a big future. It's kind of what Newcastle need in their first team, you know, to, to build with it, that kind of core. It's yeah, frustrating. Do you see Lascelles coming back in then for Shaw and Shelby back in for the key or the army? I'm very reluctant to predict what Rafa Benitez is going to do because this is the sort of game where I can see him springing a surprise like at Burnley where it's a formation or a personnel that you don't necessarily expect. The, f- the fact that Lascelles didn't come on on Saturday says to me maybe that he will start because Benitez didn't want to didn't want to risk him ready for that. Cher didn't cover himself in glory, haven't had a few decent performances. Clark, though, was was very unlucky to be dropped in the first place. And it, it depends how Benitez looks at this because in terms of dealing with pace, I wouldn't fancy Clark at fullback as I know a lot of people saying, why didn't he play him there on on at the weekend against West Ham? Would that have the problems weren't really, even though Mankio's limited, the problems weren't really there. And I don't think Kieran Clark as a, as a left-back performs pretty well. I think there will be a few changes. Obviously, one and four for Matt Ritchie. But what they are, I, I have very little idea, if I'm perfectly honest. Could we see Murphy in for Matt Ritchie, do you think? I don't know. I don't, I'm just thinking, who, who had to do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be Rafa Benitez this week. Um, <laughs> it's really difficult because um, like, you kind of found Newcastle on, on the work rate you know, led by Richie in midfield, and Mur- Mur- um, and Murphy's a bit of a luxury at the minute in terms of you want to bring him on for twenty minutes, twenty five minutes at the end to try and change a game or I'm not sure a game up. So that's just tough. What you, I don't the one thing I'd say about Murphy is quite often against the 
big so-called big six. I know Everton aren't quite in that, but they are in the top six at the moment. He has played Murphy away from home in these games if he's looked to counter. As so an, he out, is as an outlet, yeah. an easy outlet up the wing, send him off, relieve the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose Everton are one of those sides where if you set up to contain them, that's maybe what what they're like because they have got the players to to break you down quite easily because they've got a team full of full of stars and full of players that Newcastle fans could well probably do wish for. Well, Marco Silva is a manager in the sort of Rafa Benitez mould, and that he changes his team depending on the opposition. Certain managers who like Guardiola, it's, it, it's almost like a dogma for them that this is the way we're going to play. We play this way the same against everyone. Marco Silva adapts. He, he, he'll be like Benitez will be looking for weaknesses. In the Everton side, he'll be vice versa looking for the Newcastle team. But I, I, I would bet Benitez can match any manager in terms of tactically. It doesn't always quite work, but I think that he will come up with a plan which can stifle Everton to a certain degree. Can they stop them scoring? I find it highly unlikely, but I, I think that he can't. Newcastle just have to stay in the game. As Benitez said during those first 10 matches, what they did so well, obviously they didn't win any of them, but what they did so well is in most games they were still in them until the last 10-15 minutes against Chelsea, against Tottenham, against Arsenal, against um, Man City. They need to just stay in the game with Everton and hope that the tide starts to turn their way. Of course, Simon, a, a defeat and a bad defeat against Everton then brings you on to Wolves on mm-hmm. Sunday and the potential of a, of a full-on boycott by the fans or mm-hmm. certain sections of the fans. Is it more than just a, a game that Newcastle need to get something from it in terms of you know how it affects them off the pitch the Wolves game uh, the, well, the Everton oh, game no, there's definitely, I mean, you, you don't want to lose two in a row you, you, you know, a draw would feel like a win I think against Everton you, you come away from it bouncing we've stopped the bounce back from a defeat and now we've got Wolves at home who are in our little league um, and then you know, the pressure's on Wolves you've got to win your home games against teams who have been promoted <laughs> you've got to do that um, so yeah, a draw, a draw would be a fantastic result that I think everyone would would celebrate. And then, as for Sunday, and and the, the walkout, you know, I just did a blog before debating on how successful it will be and whether they should call it off. I mean, you know, it it wasn't a thing. Is the walk in uh, the other day had an impact because you could see people walking in. Um, if you've only got five hundred thousand, however many it is, staying away, you're not really going to see that. The gaps you, you, you got to look for the gaps, and there's not going to be the impact of people walking in. So, are uh, would a thousand really enthusiastic militant fans who really care about the club uh, are they just um, kind of punishing themselves almost? Would Rafa Benitez be better off having those thousand fans in cheering, their, cheering and leading the singing and being noisy? Would from, it, w- from a moment there, I thought you said five hundred thousand staying. <laughs> <laughs> five hundred or a thousand or one half. <laughs> Just thought we'd clarify that. You know, it'll be an interesting game, so I'll just ask for your score predictions then uh, for Wednesday. I'll be optimistic and I'll say a hard-fought one old draw. Chris? I'm going to go 2-0 Everton, but just to pick up oh, on the point of it, I'm sorry, I've just, <laughs> I've just been realism, that's realism taking hold. <laughs> the, th- the thing that Simon says about you don't want to, to turn into a momentum, that this, this is the thing about Newcastle side. Over the last 18 months, they are... They're, either have positive momentum or negative momentum and it seems to just be self-perpetuating they obviously had the 10 game winless run three victories in a row they've had that defeat they don't want this to be another heavy defeat because suddenly that can quickly snowball in a period that wasn't meant as a pun during the festive period but at a festive period where there's so many games you don't want that negative momentum taking charge now they need to make sure that was just a one-off Martin Dubravka said after the game we just need to get this result out of our system they have to and they just need to raise the intensity again because that's when they're the best 
Well, fingers crossed, and you can keep up to date with all the latest in Cassidy news over at chroniclelive.co.uk, including live coverage of Rafa Benitez's press conference tomorrow and, of course, the game at Everton on Wednesday. Thank you very much.